obviously debating is competitive in nature and people want to win and nobody likes losing and obviously being paired with someone with less um, uh, communication skill someone who has no forte in 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 speaking would mean that you may likely lose a debate round so so the first two years were really about me uh, being pushed to the front and just speaking up and Pushing obviously yourself. in in retrospect I still wonder how the hell did I manage to go through the whole process because it was not easy and I say this uh, very candidly now but um, but I never difficult. actually thought of giving up for some reason giving up was never an option to me Hello, this is episode 4 of Seek to Speak's podcast, a podcast which aims to empower expression, spark speeches, and instigate ideas. I'm Ayn Aisa, and if you're new here, welcome to our show. In each episode, we will seek to speak about ways to better verbalize ourselves and our stories. And this week, we sit with Iswan Zakaria, a lawyer, speaker, and mentor. We spoke about the value of resilience, of working hard in order to be braver as well as better, something that Iswan had learned to do while growing up as he shares his incredible rags to riches story, and also the exact steps that he took to improve his speaking skills. As always, I'm excited for you to experience this episode and of course, I will also be super thrilled if you decide to follow or subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And if you like what you hear, please, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people discover and access what we do. Alrighty then, let's get to the interview. everyone um welcome to seek to speak's podcast today i have a very special guest uh iswan zakaria he is the managing partner of iswan and partners a commercial technology and startup law firm in kl with over a decade of legal experience he is not just a tech savvy lawyer with a forward thinking niche but he's also an amazing speaker and mentor he's an active member in the malaysian startup ecosystem and coaches entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs and students on issues ranging from compliance to fundraising to just starting up their own thing. He is a mentor for the Founder Institute, Future Lab, Closing the Gap, and the Slango Accelerator Program. He also regularly conducts webinars, workshops, and interviews regarding startups and technology. Just to show you how varied and frequent his speaking journey is, he just concluded a fundraising workshop for MDEC, a Strength in the Numbers podcast episode, and a venture with her talk with the National Association of Women Entrepreneurs Malaysia. Wow. Coming up soon, and just in case any of you would like to join, is the negotiation workshop, which he will be doing with the Malaysian Venture Capital Association. He is a fine example of an industry expert that is able to market himself well, give back to the community, but all at the same time, progress and forward his ambition, his business, and his brand using his speaking, teaching, and networking skills. And this is why he's here with me today so that he can impart all of these wonderful experiences with you guys. And I'm so happy to have him here. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, Iswan. I 
thank you very much for having me. Very happy to be on the show and very flattered to hear the introduction <laughs> that you just did. All very, very true. You are extremely humble. So speaking of humble beginnings, uh, you're based in KL now with your own corporate and technology law firm specializing in advising tech companies, startups and venture capitals. But before this glamorous city life, you actually came from humble beginnings. You grew up in a rural town in Kedah. Uh, tell me what that was like for you. Well, I uh, obviously, this is not a particular story I share a lot because obviously <laughs> it's not something that anyone would probably ask you if you are a lawyer. But very happy to be sharing this with you because I think it does give a good context to the listeners that... Um, Many people tend to assume that I actually studied in in overseas and also actually grew up in in Kuala Lumpur, but obviously that's not the case at all. So I grew up in a small town in a small district in Kedah called Kulim. So I, as a kampung boy, I I grew up um, with my grandparents. So I'm also not um, embarrassed to share this because I think it does also give context to the listeners that um, so what happened was that a few months after I was born my uh, parents divorced so uh, I grew up with my grandparents until um, my grandfather passed away first and then my grandmother passed away sometime when I was going to my PMR which sometime when I was 15 years old if I'm not wrong and then my mother obviously remarried afterwards so um Obviously, growing up as a young person and not going through the normal life that you would typically have with a normal father and mother, obviously, it was quite challenging growing up. My parents, my grandparents, my whole family, of course, of course um, they didn't speak English and they still do not speak English now. And I remember vividly, uh, my mother is a school teacher in a public school, so... I remember clearly the challenges challenges that she had to go through when the government decided to um, change the science subject to be taught in English. And I remember the struggles that she had as well, trying to ensure that she could deliver the syllabus in a manner that was required of her as a science teacher. So obviously English was not something that uh, we speak at home, nor something that we were encouraged to do so. So, uh, my upbringing was rather different in the sense that I didn't I didn't get exposure to children books that many people would have things like Enid Blyton, Roald Dahl, and all these things. So, so I I remember also um, actually being ridiculed at times when even when I was practicing uh, as a young lawyer when I pronounced certain words and it didn't sound right because. I actually picked up those words from reading books. So obviously, when you, you read a book, it, you're right? verbalizing it and you thought that it sounded right. But obviously, at that time, you didn't have Google Translate and all these things. So you thought that it sounded correct, but people look at you with a certain face. And people thought that I've been reading ever since I was Your seven whole years old or something <laughs> like that. But obviously, there's a like huge, substantial um, part of my childhood that were missing in terms of the children's book that we were talking about mm. earlier. So, obviously, reading uh, has always been an instrumental part of my life. And I, again, uh, this is also perhaps luck or, or I'm grateful because people who have um, given me advice, I mean, simple advice like 
my previous uh, law firm that I work with, uh, Nakis and Partners, one of the partners that I reported to mentioned to me, um, spend two hours uh, reading before you sleep. So I actually Every followed day. his advice. Like literally, I would read for two hours before I sleep every night. So if you were wow. to sleep at 12, then I would spend two hours at 10 to read something. So it was only perhaps ever since wow. I started the law firm 12 months ago that I actually stopped doing that. So so obviously, um, um, the first like few few months was quite challenging, but obviously it became something like a um, routine. So... I think your brain is like a muscle. You need to train your brain just like how you train uh, when you're running or other kind of sport for that matter. So um, It really goes to show you that you can pick up good habits at any time in your life. You know, it's never too late. Your story really goes to show that English is something that a lot of people still struggle with. Um, not just students. I mean, with your teacher as well. Um, teachers work really hard to do that switch to have to instruct in English. And so for any of you who feel intimidated with the language, who feel like it's something that you can't pick up or are struggling with, just know that you have a really good example here of Izwan who came from very humble beginnings, who had these struggles as well, but ultimately came out on top. And this is where I want to segue into your success, all right? Because now that we know that it took a lot for you to get here, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about your legal career. So despite owning your own law firm now and being recognized as Asia Law Portal's one of the legal personalities to watch in Asia for 2020, congratulations, by the way, um, I heard that you almost didn't pursue law, like you were actually offered an international business degree. What happened there? Well, I you asked a pertaining questions, but I'm not sure whether my clients would be listening to this, but again... <laughs> Happy to be sharing as to how that happened. Um, so I must admit, uh, I wasn't particularly a bright student, nor when I was studying, uh, even when I went to law school. The the education that I received was more, the focus that I had was not about scoring uh, or getting good grades and all. It was just ensuring that I didn't fail. But obviously, that's not particularly a <laughs> that's good, important good too. benchmark. <laughs> but um, obviously, when I got into uh, University of Tanjimara or UITM, um, there were actually two programs. The, the threshold, the benchmark that is required for you to pursue law for foundation in law under the ministry level program was actually was higher so to cut the story short of uh, i didn't make the cut so so <laughs> so so uh, at that time i was already debating rather competitively and i think that's how we also got to know each other mm. and i was really um disappointed obviously with myself that i didn't make the cut and knowing that most of my debating friends uh, were offered to pursue law I was adamant that I really wanted to pursue law notwithstanding that my results were not particularly great from an admission standpoint so I remember seeing the dean walking over to open the door of her office before I uh, interrupted her and literally stood not allowing her to get in and I could still remember her looking at me in a nonchalant manner telling me well is one um I look at your result and your results were not good. Why don't you go and study this course that was offered to you? So I was oh actually offered 
international business and she's and harsh she's a harsh woman so, i remember so, her being super harsh it's so brave I mean, of you i mean i guess that's how people become the dean. dean so <laughs> um so obviously um she said um why do you go and study this degree international business for three years and come back in the next three years and we'll see your your one there's one subject it's called business law or something like that so we look at that result and see whether we could um admit you in law program oh my gosh. so basically no finish so, this degree of three years and then come back <laughs> so so i was i remember standing there for like good 10 minutes just contemplating what to do next so it was a week before we actually left for philippines oh that was that the, was for the, the ateneo de manila oh yeah 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 the, um our debate coach hafiz Hafiz, uh, Iqbal Hafiz. So he actually went to the dean and persuaded her. I do not know exactly what he said to the dean until today. Probably, I do not even know whether I really want to know. But <laughs> I came back two weeks after that and I looked at the online uh, results. Again, a key in my um, personal uh, IC number and I saw that the course has changed to a degree. A bachelor's in legal studies which is a law degree so i do not know what communication skill did he employ to it's, manage to get the woman to change her mind it's so interesting to see how a one encounter can completely change your life you would be a completely so, different person and at the end of the day it's okay to ask for help and sometimes this is also um, proof to show that people that you know and networking um talking to people and connecting with people can help you because you never know who will assist you on your journey, right? Um, so that's a really interesting thing and I think your clients would actually appreciate <laughs> you being very honest well, with I, this. I, I suppose that's the um, that's a fortunate thing about this profession. I mean, it's not like you go to the clinic and you ask a doctor what was your CGPA when you were studying. <laughs> medicine like nobody really asked that so i guess we're quite fortunate in that sense <laughs> that's true i remember you telling me that you're determined to dedicate a, a, a part of your time no matter how busy you are to giving back and you do this through mentoring and uh, one of the mentoring platform that's close to your heart is uh, closing the gap um who uh pairs up under students from underprivileged backgrounds with Uh, legal or sorry industry experts like you as a mentor uh, can you tell me a little bit about that and if there's any mentee story you would like to share yes um, so when I decided to start the law firm last year I told myself that now that I'm able to dictate my time in terms of how I want to allocate my time effectively I've pledged uh, to spend at least 30% or of my time that's a lot mentoring. especially when your so, time is so valuable <laughs> so obviously um i tried to do that as much as i can which i i think i may have reached that to a certain extent but obviously it's always a work in progress so the focus of the non-profit as you rightly mentioned is to address uh, education inequity so a lot of uh, bright young students out there may not have access to university not because they were not bright students but just simply simple things like not knowing that there are opportunities out there for mm, example true. many of us growing up only knew perhaps for me a good example again or another anecdotal example for myself 
I only thought that perhaps after you completed your SPM, which is your Form 5 uh, equivalent, um, so O-level in, uh, in other places, is that you could either go for matriculation or foundation and obviously you do not know that you could apply for other uh, STPM, A-levels. Uh, STPM, A-level. So, so these are the kind of uh, things that you wish you would have known when you were at that time. And obviously, in a scenario where you have several siblings, let's say you got three uh, siblings and your parents are not... And none of your uh, family members have been to 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 have received the tertiary education, and obviously, that's what um, the closing the gap tries to achieve. So I've been so uh, fortunate to be selected as one of the mentors last year. So I've been paired with a young, uh, bright uh, students from uh, a, a small school in Klang. So he's very um, smart. He 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 was showing me this video that he did uh, for. Because of the post MCO, the schools have reopened, and he was showing me this video that he did. He just uploaded on on YouTube. It was a fantastic video, and he did it all himself. So there's all these young, uh, um, bright students who may not come from a privileged background, but um, they have strong potential. But what we need is just some guidance to really sit down and tell them that okay, why don't you explore this? Why don't you explore that? So that was something that I wish I had growing up. Something that. I hope I will be able to, to be able to 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 do justice. Something which I didn't get the opportunity uh, when I was young. I think also um, that's that's really great that you are doing that, and I think maybe you see a little bit of yourself in there that your debate trainer took a chance on you and now you also want to pay it forward and make sure that nobody else have to struggle as much as you struggled in the past. This podcast is brought to you by seektospeak.com, a public speaking resource suitable for the casual and competitive speaker. Show us some love by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages. Okay, so speaking of debating, uh, we heard in episode two of this podcast from Mai that debating is difficult. I mean, it's a constant cycle of being put down, unlearning and relearning new things. So as you talked about, And you just mentioned you were an active debater when you were in UITM. What was that journey like? You know, was it easy? Uh, were there things that you had to do or change to make it? Well, um, again, we spoke about this earlier about how um, English was, was not um, my first language. So my first encounter with public speaking when, was when I was 15 years old and Um, I do not know how this transpired, but for some reason, I got enrolled in a public speaking competition. So it was a district level competition. I remember my English teacher. She um, saw something in you. Uh, my English teacher, it was somewhere really in the morning, I remember. So it was supposed to be two weeks before the actual competition. And then the, my English teacher came to me. It was Mr. Lim, by the way. And then Mr. Lim told me, Izuan, let's go. <laughs> uh, I got the date wrong and the competition is actually today and I was still holding that um, speech that I was supposed to memorize and obviously <laughs> um, we had to borrow some blazers from some other student, I can't remember, but we managed to just uh, went to the competition and obviously the same kind of experience that Mai went through as well, looking at other Uh, students from other schools and obviously they were speaking in English and obviously felt so small at that particular time and obviously to cut the story short obviously my speech was 
fully oh. delivered. I stood there and and, and like another person's minutes. blazer. So yeah, it was obviously don't talk about the fit and all. It was just just so that you could something to cover you. So uh, it turned out to be a stand up comedy for me, and everybody was laughing. <laughs> oh, I'm so and sorry about that. And obviously the other students were so f- fantastic in their presentations. Obviously, it was a very Um, interesting experience, and that was perhaps the only time that I had a public speaking exposure until I got into university. I mean, that sounds pretty traumatic. <laughs> um, so, how did you? I mean, you mentioned uh, just now that you know you were so adamant to still debate with your friends, and that was one of the biggest motivation why you wanted to do law. Like, how did you go back into debates, and um, you know what made you stay in debates? What made you? Um, be so good that you were sent to Philippines, um, many other countries. It's not because of the decision that I made to join the debate um, team. I I wouldn't Would even imagine. <laughs> well, first, I would not have I would not have been given the opportunity to pursue law, and that obviously would be one of the outcomes. But another thing that I would not be able to accomplish, perhaps, is maybe. I wouldn't even know whether I'll be anywhere. I mean, um, is is a challenging world out there, and obviously, it's not very is is a cliche to say that. But um, debating has really changed my life, and I say this obviously very plainly. But it has changed my life in every form of way you can think about. So. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit this, but the first two years uh, was really challenging. I mean, the first two years, um, I let me let me just say this bluntly: not many people really wanted to be partnering with you in debates because they felt that if they were to partner with me, they would rather not just sign up because they knew that they were going to lose the debate competition because obviously debating is competitive in nature and people want to win and nobody likes losing, and obviously. Being paired with someone with uh, less um, uh, communication skill, someone who has no forte in 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 speaking, would mean that you may likely lose a debate round. So, so the first two years were really about me uh, being pushed to the front and just speaking up. And Pushing obviously, yourself. in in retrospect, I still wonder how the hell did I manage to go through the whole process. Because it was not easy, and I say this uh, very candidly now. But um, but I never difficult. actually thought of giving up. For some reason, giving up was never an option to me. And and interestingly, I know I do not know whether you recall the kind of experiences, the kind of quote unquote um, uh, trainings. Uh, methodologies oh, that we had to go through bullying. Uh, and, <laughs> and difficult. I want to say, say it's more of a Socrates method kind of thing but it's more like just pushing you uh, in front of everybody and just speaking up yeah um, I think that's amazing that you powered through and I think for our listeners out there like you know just because you had a traumatic speaking experience is one did when he was 15 and that's pretty bad but you know as you grow up you move on and you go on to the next thing and i think what is one really demonstrated by his experience is that you don't have to immediately excel in something in order to be good at it everyone learns at their own pace and for iswan he had to power through for two years and it could be because of his background that he was very resilient 
And in fact, I think it's good if you pick up something that you're not immediately good at because that means there's a high barrier of entry, meaning it's a skill that is difficult to have. And I think what Izwan really shows is that you don't have to have like a million debate trophies or win a lot of tournaments in order to be good at something. I think that whole experience is one probably made you who you are today. I mean, giving up was never something that I had in mind. Uh, interestingly, I don't know whether pe- your listeners will believe me on this, but uh, I remember spending hours and hours um, um, on, on YouTube and just watching debate videos and memorizing the oh opening uh, lines, making sure that I say these words correctly. And I think, I don't know whether you recall that the first few years, people were making fun of me because they said I had a fake accent, which I tend to agree, which I don't know whether I still <laughs> I have it now. I but, but, but no, uh, no, you so, don't. So, so those were one, one of the things that I did. So I spent a lot of time watching videos of other people speaking just because I want to make sure that I speak in a certain way because that's important and those are time and tested and that's how people speak you just whether you like it or not you just do but second thing that I've done which also um, the next point that I want to highlight is about reading and obviously as a debater and a competitive debater university um, one of the magazines that we all know will be The Economist The Economist so <laughs> it's I not rem- an easy read so, it really isn't uh, it's still not a easy read now so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who actually go read it, but but for some reason, I guess if the Economist publisher would go and do an analysis, I'm sure the sizable. I like the comic part. Um, apart <laughs> apart from the um, the usual diplomats or so called CEOs that would purchase them, I mean, a, a bulk of their subscribers would primarily be uh, university students who are in the debate club. So I remember purchasing uh, copies of Economist when I was studying as a law student and it was like 25 ringgit at that time. Oh which my gosh, like, it's still expensive. Um, it's still 25 ringgit, I think. It's, it's 35 or something ringgit now and obviously the fact that we are paying ringgit Malaysia is not particularly useful, helpful. But yeah. I I wanted to get the latest information because I want to be able to tell people that I know things too. So, so I would go and purchase this um, uh, economies and, and read them and obviously it wasn't really an easy read as well but obviously <laughs> that's just something that's, that you needed to do easy, yeah. to be able to perhaps stay ahead of everybody else so that's what I did I think um, that's that's really interesting to hear that give up giving up was not in your vocabulary and I think that a lot of people can look at it as a non-option so when you feel like things are hard, just remember that giving up is not an option. And there are so many things that you can do to help your business and your journey. Like uh, Iswan said, he looked at speaking videos. And just so you know, debate videos are extremely boring. I would say that it's like even more boring than The Economist and they're difficult to go through. They're hours and hours. He's not joking. <laughs> One debate is like an hour long, more than an hour long. And reading is also something that's really um, good for everybody, I think. So speaking of struggles, you know, every chance you get, you're giving lectures, webinars or interviews, you know, despite how busy you are. But isn't it scary? Like, isn't it scary to always put yourself out there um, for other people to judge you, for other people to scrutinize you and for people to make fun of you? But, you know, you continue to do that. And I suppose 
it's because it's important. Um, why is it important to like to put yourself out there as a business owner? Well, I um, again, I, I don't know whether my competitors are listening to this uh, podcast as well. But again, I'm not um, <laughs> embarrassed to share this. But it took me. It took me some time to actually start uh, posting my um, my 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 social media posts about, like for example, I'm hosting a, a webinar. For example, I, I contemplated whether or not I should put this on Facebook because it might just annoy people. Because oh, really? Um, so so it took me a while to start. So, no, this shameless self promotion post. So, but I realized if I don't do this, then how am I supposed to effectively? Uh, publicize or market myself so that sort of like i've gone away past that but that's just something that um we all have to go through but to really answer your question um whether it's scary to give lectures webinars or interview uh, it is scary in the sense that um you are a, a lawyer and you are giving a speech you're telling people something and obviously the society puts you in a certain higher pedestal than other people and obviously whatever you say may be used as something that they found it to be truth and obviously you need to be very careful what you say mm, and obviously they use it against you sometimes you, con- you you contemplate of a recent webinar that you just did and you thought I do not know whether I said the right thing and, and something like that but obviously that yeah, happens through time fears, and practice right? but that doesn't necessarily mean you should stop doing it uh, that's another thing as well Um, we are we are all in the business of value creation. So, if you look at something, if you meet someone, if you looking at a particular uh, uh, um, uh, uh, project, you ask yourself: Is there a value that I can create? I think that is also important, no matter how little. Sometimes, think the work that I do is just perhaps connecting people. So, I like to call myself again another fancy phrase that I just coined more like a knowledge brokers you know like you've oh, got that's so you've cool. got uh, you've you have a you have a set of understanding you have a set of skills i've got a set of skills uh, I'll, i'll connect both of you together and see whether something new will come up so i think that's something that uh, i've been trying to emphasize in my previous discussion that i had with other um, industry practitioners that as a service provider as a professional Uh, your role as a legal counsel is not just merely giving advice or legal advice, but to go beyond than that, but also to help in terms of business growth if you're working with a client and so on. So, so that's, that's something that is very um, in, in interesting perspective, which I think uh, would probably be useful to many people who are just trying to 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 um, start their initial uh, career. As a young person. That's really interesting uh, to see the world in that lens, to see that, you know, there's an opportunity here for me to give a positive uh, outcome. And I like the fact that you grow your business not just as a legal entity, but rather as a business partner. That's something that a lot of people can also think about when they're growing their business. You don't necessarily have to stick in that box that you've put your business in. You can also be more valuable as a partner to any one of your clients or customers. And it's interesting that, you know, despite being so successful, you still have that sort of doubts or insecurities um, be- after and before you go through a presentation. And I think that's something that 
everybody, no matter how good you are, will continue to go through. I mean, I was also nervous for this this interview session. But what I like to say is that, you know, your insecurities and your doubts, they're fake news. Remember that they're not true. And with that, I feel like I feel better before starting any presentation. So what I've started doing actually uh, yesterday uh, was actually to start recording myself on a short video. That's so, great. So it's like oh, a wow, that's... so it's like a one minute uh video kind of thing. So I just finished a call. I said okay, hope everyone is having a good day. I just had a call with a client asking me whether or not simple things like whether NDA is legally binding and so on. So so like a short video kind of thing, which I thought is quite interesting and see whether or not I could continue to develop. That, that. is very brave of you. That's something that even I'm not brave to do. Of. So I mean, yet, I mean, you know? I mean, uh, it took me a while to to do that because I mean, obviously you got the small lizard brain inside your head telling news. you that um, well maybe you should invest in a good uh, high definition video camera get a good tripod and all this thing well um, let's be practical about things just, <laughs> just see how it goes so that's what I did yesterday Oh, that is so true. Sometimes I think we are programmed to try and be perfect all, all the time, but I think we need to be programmed to be braver. You know, everything, the stars doesn't need to align for you to start something. Uh, so this has been such an absolute joy, is one uh, such inspiring stories, as well as it's crazy to hear that your journey was so varied and so different from other people. So before we end this session... Iswan Zakaria, can you tell me and our listeners what you seek to speak about, because of, in spite of, or against? Uh, I seek to speak about the truth because it's better to listen to the bitterest truth than the sweetest lie. Wow, that is philosophically sound as well as powerful. Thank you so much, Iswan, for being here I really, really appreciate it. And I know that your advice will resonate with a lot of people and your experience will inspire a lot of other Kampong boys. Thank <laughs> you for up. having me. Thank you for listening to this episode until the end. I also want to thank my dearest husband, Ikram, for helping me produce this episode. I'm also currently toying with the idea of sharing quick speaking tips in between our long-form interview sessions. I'm hoping that my guests will inspire and motivate all of you to speak up while these quick tips will give you the actual tools to do so and to do so well. But you know, it's just an idea right now. But if this is something that you want, please let me know on our website, seektospeak.com or on our socials. And if enough of you want it, then I'll definitely come up with more content. But until then... Bye.